welcome back to part two of our conversation with Bob Hunter. In this part of the conversation, we're going to talk a little bit about Pentecostalism um, and then some of Bob's experiences in politics and his journey to becoming affirming and more inclusive as it relates to the queer community. Um, we hope that episode one was packed with information for you and knowledge and expanded your understanding of maybe where and how you grew up and the influences that were at play in your life that um, we might not have been aware of. And so without further ado, we present part two of our conversation with Bob. Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. <laughs> what do we do? Uh, we leave our F-bombs in and... Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound, they're going to keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of, uh, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speak, that I think out of the overflow of the spirit the body does. Some narratives. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, yeah. and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my, my, my literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so when you look at 2021 and you look at, mm -hmm. you know, the Southern Baptist or, um, the assemblies of God, you know, the, the, the uh -huh. white version of Pentecostalism and all those, because uh -huh. those are the ones that I was calling evangelical. So what you're saying, according to your definition, no, they're fundamentalists. They may have co-opted the term. Well, well, th th now, th th Pentecostalism is yet another strain in this thing. And I don't want to confuse it too much to get people, because mm -hmm. I should have, you know, if we were doing this on online or something, I should form a diagram here. But... <laughs> But Pentecostalism started in 1901 at a at a um, revival in L.A. Azusa, Azusa Street. Azusa Street. Yeah, I know all about that because I. Yeah. Okay. So the Azusa Street uh, revivals happened, um, and they were that was racial too because the what happened at Azusa Street was that a lot of Baptists, uh, Charles Charles Mason. Um, came out of the Baptist church and started the Church of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. The black um, version of Pentecostal. The black version, right. And then there's well, the Church well, of it God. Was, it, was, it, was a, it was black version from the start. William Seymour, who started it, was black. Right. And it, it was a black version. It was the white people that joined in. So Pentecostalism started from the black tradition. Uh, from yes. Azusa Street, yeah, the Azusa yes. Street revival. Where it's, they it's black it. folks saying, we think that that some of the miracles, miraculous stuff that happened in the Bible can still happen. Mm -hmm. So it was black version, but it was also nonviolent. Charles Mason went to jail because he refused to serve in World War II, or I. He, he refused to serve in the World War, and so he ended up going to jail um, rather than fight. You know, he said Jesus didn't fight. And so nonviolence is actually a part of this whole thing because the black church, you know, under Martin Luther King, for example, and other, the nonviolent thing has a, so the sword of the Lord, you know, that back in Dallas Theological Seminary, the sword of the Lord people are really wielding a different version of Christianity than the people that are grabbing onto something more nonviolent. That doesn't mean that they were necessarily teetotalers, but they believe that the gentleness and the care and the solve your problems. The other are, you know, are people that are, you know, they're they're ready to fight. I mean, their their image of end times is when God wipes out everybody 
who's not a Christian. So it, yep. so you go to one side, you know, there's kind of a pull between, you know, if you see this, it's obviously a spectrum, but if you see people that are on the violent side of the spectrum versus people that are on the gentler side of the spectrum, that believe in mercy and justice and, and long, long suffering and, and whatnot, you know, the fruits of the spirit. And that to me is what, what really you see out of the Donald Trump Christians, Donald Trump is the opposite. I mean, I've never seen a man who had none of the fruits of the spirit, even to fake it. I mean, you have blustery and mean-spirited and starting fights and insulting people and whatnot. You have all of that. Preach. And so, yes. and I always saw this as the sides are gonna go and become more and more separate. And as you see the, um, the, the, the brute force people and the sword of the Lord, I mean, that was, that was, that's, that's to me is this key there, right? I mean, that's kind of a, you know, this yep. is, this is telling us something about what this theology is about. So when you, you look at, and I feel like I also need to say Donald Trump probably isn't necessarily associated before the presidency with any He's of these. Not. Religious no, 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 no. It's the fact that they grabbed onto him. And I think they grabbed onto him because they saw that kind of leadership in their churches. But here's the thing that always baffled Ooh. me, and maybe you can help me understand, because uh -huh. I was in, I, well, I'm not sure whether it was an evangelical or fundamentalist, but I'll just say a conservative, uh -huh. predominantly right. white church in 1996. Okay. Um, or, was that founded in 96? Because there is an Atlanta church that's mentioned. No. no? Um, but my point is, it was Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. Um, I remember James Dobson, Focus on the Family. All yeah, those people yeah. saying that if a man is unfaithful to his wife, um, you know, mm -hmm. Tony Perkins, all the, the, the Family Research Council, all. He yeah, I know those folks. He's those are I consider them all fundamentalists. I understand. But. So what I'm saying is that was the, that was the, yeah. Recurrent mantra is that he is an immoral man. He is unfaithful mm -hmm. to his wife. He is unfit mm -hmm. to lead. And right. so these same people, I mm -hmm. remember me finding, whether it was New York Times or Washington Post or whatever, mm -hmm. when it was all of them, James Dobson, Pat Robertson, Tony mm -hmm. Perkins, all of them had, had um, gone. Who, and, oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Franklin Graham. Franklin, Franklin Graham. You know, yeah, his, his dad, by the way, would be very disappointed in him, I'm sure, but go ahead. But they were, in this particular article, they had all gathered together to pray over him. Um, mm -hmm. And then they were just all speaking out about how, you know, we're not trying to elect a pastor. Oh, really? Well, you said. You said, yeah. You, no. said, you know, and so yeah, I. Just, but, I just, but see, that, what does that tell you? That tells you that that had nothing to do with it. It's the same reason that I don't think abortion had anything to do with that. Well, it didn't. I mean, I, I now know that. It yeah, but I was, actually, I was actually contacted by the person that started um, the, the first abortion anti-abortion group because I was, I was in Binghamton, New York, and he was from that area. And so he called me and he said, I hear you're a justice Christian and I want to talk, run this by you. And my thought at the time, and I wish I had pushed harder on it, but my thought at the time was, I can understand such a movement, but it's positioned wrong. If there is anything about you're gonna deal with justice kinds of issues and you see it as a justice issues, you better give it over to people who have dealt with justice issues so they can also talk about women's rights and whatnot in the context of it. So you, so you can have the discussion in house and they never had that discussion. So the abortion movement became an anti-women's movement, which is what it was in the first place. You know, not it's, I'm not saying everybody that's, you know, working with anti-abortion stuff is anti-women, but they're not positioned in the position to have that conversation about justice for women. And so it never got, it never got, had the discussion that it needed to have within the justice community. And I told him to form it nonviolently. He tried that for a while and but he was positioned he positioned it around in fundamentalism it wasn't long before he burned out and the people around him started talking about we're going to do violence and then you started having bombings and whatnot at the clinics 
And, you know, and it turned out to be everything because it sided with the sword of the Lord people, not the, not the sacrifice of the people. And so it never became, it never had that discussion. It never got nuanced. It never became an issue. It never said, how do we protect women and women's rights and women's rights to choose? It never got those, never had those kind of discussions. And so it got positioned over on this. And, and I, you know, but, but that night, um, I mean, several nights later, one of my assistants did pick up and she took him to hear Sweet Honey in the Rock. And she okay, said okay. he oh, listened to- what, what Sweet Honey, the song? No, the, the, uh, the singing group. There was a okay. singing group that came out of the civil rights movement called Sweet Honey in the Rock. And they sang, you know, feminist songs and justice songs and whatnot. And she said he cried. He cried at that. He was so moved by them. And that's, that's just tragic to me that the guy was going to start this thing and was, you know, really wanted to do it in a, he wanted to form some kind of thing, but he, but he was, but he was over with the sword of the Lord people. And that movement just took off mm -hmm. in terms of violence mm -hmm. and crap. And, and it's very, and I observed that along a lot of lines. Um, you know, the whole, as I said, the, my, my thing at Cedarville, the, the, the fundamental school that I went to, the stuff that I was dealing with there, I, um, my roommate wanted me as his best man in his marriage, wedding. But, but the, uh, the woman that he was engaged to, her, her parents and grandparents refused to have a black man there. So when you see what you see now um, with pastors, people who went to seminary, people mm -hmm. who say that it's about the word of God, um, and you look at what they're justifying and excusing, and it, it's, it's when, when I, I could just, you know, off the top of my head, rattle off a, a dozen pastors who have taken a stance 180 degrees opposite of everything they said they believe. Mm -hmm. So how do you evaluate that? You've seen this over multiple decades. Mm -hmm. I say they're doing the same thing they always did. It's just getting worse now. You know, the, the, the worseness is that they, they're not doing it with a guy who has the clout, of, who had the clout of the presidency and the clout to lie about all this stuff in a way that's, and what's what's ironic is that if you look at dispensationalism, there one of the big things of dispensationalism, they're expecting an antichrist who lies yep. to a bunch of people, and he's a he, you know, he's following Satan basically, and lies to a bunch of people and gets a bunch of Christians to follow him. And I'm going, and I had since dismissed dispensationalism. I said, I don't even believe that. That's not what's going on in Revelation. That's not to read Revelation. But lately I'm going, huh, maybe they were right, except they're on the wrong side of it. <laughs> you know I mean, it looks, you know, you can, it looks, it looks mighty close. I guess the, the, the thing that, that get baffles me is there's no deception. I mean, like, do, do, do you really believe that Mike Pence and all these other people who are, I mean, do you really believe they're deceived? I, I mean, well, I, I, no, no, no. I'm talking about the people following. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm talking about the people following. I don't think Donald Trump's one bit deceived. I don't know about Mike Pence. Mike Pence is an interesting guy because I, I know, I know Mike you, Pence personally yeah, because Mike Pence was our con congressman when I was chair of the Human Rights Commission. And he was an interesting combination of liar and gentle person. And, and I, could, I couldn't sort it out. I couldn't tell what was what and what he really believed and what was part of his political game. You know, I just knew he was a, he was a genius at his town hall meetings. You know, my wife and I went to a town hall meeting and there was a couple of, 
he had just come out uh, blocking certain things at uh, you know abortion clinics. There was a group of protesters that came in, and they were, and he would go to the crowd. No, no, no! Don't respond to them in kind. Let's be very gentle. Let's be kind to them, you know. And and I thought, you know, he's working this audience something fiercely. So somewhere around, um, I got invited. Um, I had a fairly conservative um, person that worked with me in the Human Rights Commission. He did a pretty good job, but he was fooled by some things. And he was fooled by Mike Pence. I mean, he was in Mike Pence's corner, still is, I think. Um, we later fired him, but he was in Mike Pence's corner. And um, he... Um, and, and he was fired, not for those reasons. He was fired actually because of his management of the office. His office people told me, every one of them told me they're gonna leave if I didn't fire him. So, you know, so there was an attitude, but that, that, that sort of the Lord was still there. I mean, that was part of that, you know, that, that violence yeah, yeah. In, the, in, the, in the, the way they were reading scripture was violently, you know, yes. and the way it all ends with violence. And so there was this kind of violent, but but anyhow, um, I went I went to that, and I thought, well, if I'm going to go to this, and Mike Pence is here, I'm going to take a Bible study. So I took a Bible study out of the Bible study guide you have. It was the one on materialism. But the reason I chose that was because it was on Revelation 18, and it talked about you know we we sort of uncapped the the word there was it's the merchants of the world that are that bring this thing down you know, translated the business people of the world, right? You know, this is the business people. Yeah. So I gave him a thing that was warning him against businessmen that was going to seduce the world. And he ends up with Donald Trump. I don't think he studied my Bible study. I don't think, I don't think he got that at all. And I think yeah. I, I'm going to go with God told me. God, God put that on my heart to, to take the study to this man on... You know, I mean, I had basically it has a warning about the businessmen who are going to seduce the world and going to seduce nations. Okay, I and, got, and, go ahead. I want to um, that when you said that, that reminded me of a part of a story that you told. I want you to elaborate on it. Okay. You were you were telling us um, one day about how when you first saw the movie of Corey Ten Boom. Corey, oh, yes. Corey, yeah. Corey Ten Boom was a Christian Dutch woman. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The book is, you know, the, the book is The Hiding Place. And so she and her family um, had a secret room built in their home. Right, to hide Jews. And they yeah. Jews. And so Bob was telling us a story how when her movie was shown at a church years ago, like in the 70s, that there was something that you, I can't remember how you said it, but there was something then where you were like yeah. predicting what, how we were going to yeah, end up I where was, we are now with the evangelical. It was a Baptist church in Binghamton, New York. And I was sitting there, we were watching the, the movie. And um, and I just, afterward, they had a little question and answer. And everybody there, of course, was on Corey Tin Boone's side. You know, they were going to be like her. And I went, yeah. nope. When this thing hits, y'all are going to be just like the, the Nazi sympathizers. You're going to be on that side. You're not going to be on this side because you don't get this. You know, Corey Tin Boone said that, you know, that the Bible wasn't, and this is, this is maybe the, a close answer. To, what she said was the Bible is not so much a book to believe in as a description of the way things are. This Bible is not telling you how, you know, it's not giving you details about anything, but it's telling you in general spirituality and when you see a group of people you just said uh, olivia that that um you know these people are not fooled they're not fooled but they are fooled how can you talk to i mean let's just go with the coronavirus covid19 people are rejecting vaccines that they can see are working and they can see people dying and this is not just happening in the united states but worldwide but they're going to blame Biden for it. You know, what kind of yep. sense does that make? You know, people are dying in, in, in South Africa. They're dying in Tan Tanzania. They're dying in Mexico. You know, those governments are scrapping for vaccines to help people. And these folks are sitting up here in the United States looking at all of this death in the world and talking about this is all fake. Now you got to be really 
you've got to be, there's got to be some powerful forces working against your mind to put you there. So, so the word is not, you know, they're being fooled exactly. It's, it's, it's closer to they're demented. I mean, there's, there's something deep. It is, it is demonic. We're talking about, I, you know, and you don't have to get woo-woo with the word demonic here. There's something, there's a powerful force of deception that's going on with these people. Because this is not something hidden. It's very, very powerful force of deception. Yeah. Is that force, would you say that force of deception is woven, has always been woven in with the supremacy culture yes. that this nation was founded upon? Yes. And has only it's just been it just keeps being compounded it gets, over, gets worse and over worse, and we keep we keep coming back to it. I mean, this was happening. Yeah. You know, these folks want to quote King, but they were doing the same thing to King that they are doing to Black Lives yeah. Matter. I mean, I was there again. I was there. You know, I saw this. I had a roommate at Cedarville. It, it, they put me with him because he wasn't as racist as the rest of the school. <laughs> you know, so, and he was older. He was he was a, the, the floor. What do you call it? The, the oh, resident owner. assistant. Yeah, resident assistant. Yeah. yeah. So he was he was that person. So they put me with him so I wouldn't get some upstart freshman where I had to <laughs> yeah. do something. Oh. You know. So so um, we're we're in this, and he comes to me and he says, Bob, I you know I understand where you're coming from. He didn't. But I understand where you're coming from. But this whole civil rights movement, it just doesn't understand this country. You know, it's just, you know, you guys don't really understand what's what's going to come of this. And I said, but I'm not talking about stuff that we're predicting. I'm talking about stuff that already happened to us. You know, we're, this is not a prediction issue. This is, you don't understand what has happened here. He said, well, I, I try to understand, you know, and he kind of backed off a little bit and he was trying to. You know, he's 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 supposed to be mentoring me, right? So he's trying to, you know, and yeah, and yeah. and he just, you know, bless his heart, he meant well, uh, you know, at some level, but he was ignorant and he wasn't willing to challenge his ignorance, you know. And there's just so many people like that, and and I feel for folks who really aren't in the position to know, but it angers me that we have people that know that. The worst is Jim Jordan. I mean, you know, that if he had been put on that, if Pelosi had let him get on that committee to investigate January 6th, that would have been the end of it. Because there's nothing, that man is dishonest through and through. Sue me, Jim Jordan, if you would listen to this. I'll take you on. I mean, we have the video footage, so. Yeah, yeah, we watched him. And he was talking, and now he's admitted he was talking to Trump that day, after the insurrection. You know, I mean, he needs to show up and testify, not be investigating it. So these people are, you know, the, so there's something that it's just, it's just, and they're, they've become the party of death. The Republican yes. Party has become the party of death. Yes. You know, at every, even, even their criticism of um, the gymnasts. Oh, so, oh, oh please. You know, Please, please. You know, even the criticism of her, because what she was saying was, I had the twisties, and gymnasts talk about the twisties, and what twisties are is you've lost your sense of where you are in the air, and you can't quite get that back. You got to get confidence to know that again. If she had done more of the things she had done and not known where her head was compared to where the floor was, she'd be dead or, you know, paralyzed. Yeah, or seriously injured, yeah. Yeah, and so on every on every ounce they choose some kind of thing that's over death i would even not be be generous even with the Democratic Party, even because they're tied to the business interests. Oh yeah, we yeah, about well, that, right, right. I mean, yeah. I, and and there's a lot of people that have looked at um at, at, at I I have a friend who has criticized Schumer and Pelosi and whatnot and said they're just you know they're just playing to their base. They are, but they're playing in the opposite direction. Those people are inundated with oil money. So yeah. so what they say about climate change is actually modified from what the danger really is. 
they're going, you know, they, you, people don't understand. You got to look at where's people's money coming from and what's their motivation to lie. And yes. their motivation is to lie in the direction of no climate change. So if they're telling you about climate change at all, you know it's much worse than that. And, and that's what, what people don't understand. They don't understand how to interpret people's motives. They don't understand that, uh, you, know, they, you know, they're just lying. Well, yeah, they are, but who are they lying for? You know. Well, and again, watch the videos. Our Western half of our country is on fire yeah, yeah. all the time yep. and having heat, astronomical heat waves and our polar cut. Like, you don't, if you don't want to, if it's not political, please just watch the video. Yes, please. And that's where the thing is, that's where what they're telling themselves usurps what they can see. And, and, and when you go back to Corey Ten Boone's comment about the Bible is a clear statement of what is, words like demonic and, and overwhelming and those kind of words fit that behavior. These folks are looking at the world seeing it burn and telling themselves it ain't burning. <laughs> what's, what's, you know, what is, what's up with that? Oh, well, that was, that was the testimony of one of the um, Capitol Police officers. He said, I feel like I mm -hmm. went to hell and back to mm -hmm. save these people. And you're telling me that um, hell doesn't exist. Um, or it's not that or, bad. Or it's not that bad. One of the things that I wanted to make sure to, to work into this, um, and not asking you for a definition. So I know what critical race theory is. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I have a, 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 a different question for you. So not okay. what, what is it? Right. I have, I, my assertion is that what is being outlawed in these states, um, I think it's Texas that has said you can't talk about the Klan, you can't talk about um, you know, any kind of disparaging view of slavery, so on and so forth. What, what is being opposed is not critical race theory. Critical race right, theory is right. a graduate school law theory. Right. That is not what is being taught in elementary and middle schools. But with what you have seen um, with your years observing conservative conservatives, evangelicals, fundamentalists, all of it. What do you think is the motive behind, and I know it's to, what, what do you think is the motive behind all the efforts to block the teaching of the history of slavery, black history, you mm. know, the history of the Klan? Um, why? And, 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 and I mean, beyond just, we don't wanna teach black history, but what is the motive right. behind? Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I I think you're right, there are probably levels of motive, but the, the way I would summarize it, I think, would be that the United States is not the United States they believe in when you tell its history the way it really happened. You cannot believe that this was a Christian nation, and nobody will believe any nation. I, mean, I used to ask people, you know, this question, if your neighbors or your kids or your, their, you know, your neighbor's kids or your grandchildren, if they were stolen to a country and put into slavery, and then they came back and they said, but we're founded on Christian principles, would you believe them that that was a Christian nation? Of course you wouldn't. And so that's the thing that if you tell the story of the what really happened in this country, you know that, that that doesn't mean everything was bad and that everything happened, but you you you're telling a different story. Now the way Obama used to tell the story was not that he didn't say we founded, started on, a, at a good place. He said we had some good founding principles that we started trying to put into practice. And we've been trying to do that for years and are getting better and better. That's the way he would tell the story, you know? And then when Sam I Am put it into words of, who's the guy, the head of the, Will I Am, Will, Will I Am, would put it at Sam I Am as a, a guy in, in, the, in, the, in the, the Dr. Seuss character. <laughs> will, will I Am, <laughs> Will I Am um, put it into, into song. You know, that the, the founding principles created a nation that we built upon. And so he would tell the story that way. But the way fundamentalism wants to tell the story is that the nation started at a good point. It was Christian. And then it's been slipping ever since into something bad. 
Yes. So we're telling it in two different directions. One group of Christians says, but the, or one group of people, well-meaning people, whoever they are, says the nation was founded with some good principles in it, but didn't apply those principles. And in fact, was founded on slavery, but but it created enough incentive in people's hearts that they began to build this thing, and we're getting better and better at it. We got rid of slavery, and we've got we started trying to treat women right. We ain't there yet, and you know, and we know the, you know, but the laws changed a bit, and then we changed some of the some of the elements, and then some of the subtle stuff that was going on, and the violence underneath got dealt with with or got identified when we started talking about Me Too. And, and so each step we've gotten, we're starting, and we've, we've had some backtracks. So that's the way he wants to tell a story. Um, I want to tell it as a spiral because we come back over the same territory and get worse and worse and better and better. But, um, but things have gotten, have changed for the better. Civil rights movement, I, I, I lived before the civil rights movement. I mean, I was around before the civil rights movement. And I, rem I was a kid, but I remember it was horrible. We would, we would go up to a restaurant. My dad would go in. This is in Cleveland. My dad would go in and he would say, um, you know, um, do you accept black people here? And he'd come back to the car and say, yeah, it's okay. We can go in. Or, you know, he would come back and say, they said, we can't go in. And my mom would be upset. And I remember once uh, going to a, a place like that and um, we pulled in and my dad got out, walked back and I don't know what happened, but my mom started crying. And I said, mom, what's wrong? And my sister sitting next to me was older. She gave me this shut oh, in my, in my, you know, on my side, shut up, uh, you know, shut up, you know? So I didn't know, it, it took me years to figure out what was going on here. I finally figured out, oh, was that what was happening? But, but yeah, I remember that. I remember those kinds of things as a kid. Now, I don't know why we didn't carry a green book. Um, we did sometimes. What's a green book? A green, a green yeah. book was a, was a book that was published that, that uh, Black people would know where they could go and where they couldn't go, what hotels they could go to, where there were Black families that would put them up. Most of the hotels you couldn't go into you know, even in northern cities, they wouldn't they wouldn't host black people. So if you're traveling, you might get stuck. And so the Green Book was to help you find places that were open to black people that were weren't segregated or would allow black people to to uh, go in. But, they sort of explore that concept in uh, HBO series Lovecraft Country, which they just yeah. I haven't just, seen that yet. I I really want to see that. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Um, so I. I I I, I want to say a couple things and, sure. and try to act, act, contextualize this question. Okay. Um, you've taken us from a discussion on the differences of fundamentalism and evangelicalism through this time period of the 50s, 60s, early 70s. Yeah. As I come to this space... Um, as a 31 year old I, queer identified uh, black non-binary person mm -hmm. recognizing the context in which you grew up in but also my reality of there's not there's becoming more uh, cis hetero identified uh, black men uh, who have a holistic sense of justice, as I would, mm -hmm. I, I, right, I would say. Right. How, how have you been involved in these communities? Because as I'm, as I'm standing here, you have your pronouns on the Zoom screen. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about a deeply inclusive, just message. Mm -hmm. How have you navigated being in these waters between evangelicalism, fundamentalism with, and what is your justice ethic? What is your sense of justice ethic that, yeah. that um, in all of that, with all that you've 
yeah, they're, navigate in your life. Yeah. Um, part of it was um, I, I was in evangelical circles, but I was also on campus. And that makes a host of difference. You know, so I ran into, you know, I had a, I had a student um, who was in my group back, I don't, I don't even know how long ago. And we were discussing something gender, something gendered. I can't remember what the discussion was. But she said, I'm very uncomfortable with this discussion. You know, now, now when you hear that word, that, you know, that, that raises lots of stars. But she had to say it to me several times because I wasn't getting it. You know, she said, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. And then she said, I've, uh, I'm gay. And she said, I have not had any kind of sexual contact with anybody. I'm a Christian. I don't know if I've ever had any contact with, if I ever will. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it, but I know I'm gay. And that, that kind of blew me out of the water because up to that point, I had assumed that gayness was about sex. And she said, I've never had sex, but I know I'm gay. And I thought, oh, I think that might have been, I mean, I might have had some other experiences, but it clicked by then that this is about identity and something much deeper than, you know, folks want to go out and yes. do something kinky yes. that night, <laughs> you know, or they, they, they grew tired of having heterosexual sex. And so they, you know, went out to do stuff. And so that that started working on me. And so being with with folks that were gay, just you know, um, there was a just a transformation about that. And then, you know, um, uh, so so I think it was. I think that's what that's where people transform anyhow, right? I mean, we don't transform with ideas. We our ideas. Um, summarize to some extent our experiences mm. and we begin wow, to yes. realize where compassion comes from and and we begin to you know work, working ourselves back and I think that's in some ways that's what Corey Ten Boom was saying to us when she came back and said the Bible is not something to believe in you don't get this out of the Bible precisely you live some stuff and you start seeing it in biblical terms and so compassion begins to be lived in your life and you begin to say, wow, there's some other stuff. Now, when I went back into the scriptures, I found some stuff that was very interesting. You know, when I was working my way through the book of Acts, um, Acts actually is about basically, at least the first half of Acts is about different groups of people coming into the church. You know, and so you get, first you get the language issues in Acts 6 and 7, uh, you get some nationalism, challenge to nationalism, and seven, Stephen's speech, and then you go on to some other things, and by the time you get to Ethiopian eunuch, you know, suddenly you go, wait, what's going on here? What, what group is coming into the church? And you go back to Exodus, and you say, you know, somebody with crust balls or defective balls, you know, I mean, gonads, you know, we're talking... You know, um, part part of the audience. I don't. Are, are, is is this is this a fam? Is this a You're family show? <laughs> you can say it. So you, yeah. you can say it. So, you crusted it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm gonna stick to the technical. But you know, So, so, so when you get when you get there, you begin to realize that that the pre, the pre prescription that that a that a eunuch could not be in the church was was being erased there, and you go, wow, this is this is really powerful. And then you get then you get to you go back to Matthew and you find out Jesus said, you know, um, eunuchs are you know, are acceptable in my kingdom, but it's going to take a lot of folks to, it's going to take a lot of power to really understand this. That's the Matthew quote. You know, people are not going to, this is going to be, this is going to be really, you got to be really spiritual to get this one. And you go, wait, 
where is spirituality coming from? What is this? So, you know, so your world gets blown when you know folks and when you, when you walk with them and you care for them, your world gets blown. And you begin to yes. think that some of the things you thought was going on wasn't going yeah. on, you know? And so, mm -hmm. you know, two, three summers ago before the pandemic, um, I went to a gay wedding at Stonewall. Never would have thought myself to be there. The Stonewall, you know, but New York City Stonewall. I, I hanging out Stonewall. <laughs> so you see, yeah. he and him, because I want to signal to people that um, on when I get on a Zoom call, I want to signal to folks that I've that I'm that I'm listening. You know, I, none of us ever arrive, but that I'm listening and I'm trying to hear people and I'm trying to care for folks yes. and I'm trying to understand um, where, where the experiences of other people that I did not experience. Because I went through this fundamentalism thing and, and you know, I, I fluster when people talk about fundamentalism and evangelicalism and whatnot because, you know, because I've been here for a long time. I do not consider myself an evangelical these days, but I'm an evangelical observer. And, you know, and when you've been there, you understand some things. And sometimes when things are said that aren't true and you agree with the anger people are expressing, but they're not quite, the anger isn't positioned quite right. You know, you, you, you care to, uh, to fix that. Yeah, crit critique that a little bit. Well, well, again, the, the evangelicalism, when I, when I hear people say evangelicals are this way or that way, um, one, I think the term really is fundamentalism. And two, that the, that the, the evangelicals who really yeah. deserve the term got shafted because they should have the term. They, they are the people that, that, that wanted to get away from fundamentalism. You know, and there's some moderates and there's some radicals. Sojourners is probably on the left side of evangelicalism, but they've always been, you know, um, evangelicals. You know, and they 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 hang a little more tightly with the the uh, the text of the scriptures. That's probably the most nuanced way I can say it. They hang more tightly, and you have others who are willing to say, no, we just we just don't deal with that scripture. And evangelicals usually say, "No, we gotta, we gotta do something with it, <laughs> you know, you know, or we'll, we'll, we don't understand it yet, you know, it doesn't make sense to us." Um, so evangelicals are, are hang tighter with the scriptures, and of course, Christians, mainline Christians, have various tightness of their association and how they interpret, you know, what their interpretive scheme is for scriptures. Um, and so there's all sorts of these schemes, and so to just sort of put it all into one bucket, evangelicalism and, uh, is, is not quite right, although it's understandable, and it's the way the media is handling the word right now. My, my follow-up uh -huh. question sure. to that being that you said that most people earlier, most people realize um, are in fundamentalism, they get out of fundamentalism and leave Christianity. You just sort of started to sort of identify yourself as not necessarily in the evangelical mm -hmm. tradition, right. but with everything that you've gone through and that you've seen in your lifetime, um, in this moment, uh, through the justice movements mm -hmm. that you're mm -hmm. observing, what is your embodied hope? Uh, good question. What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I could I could jargon it, and and that would be correct. I would say that for me as a Christian, I would want to see Jesus really followed by Christians and observed by everybody else, that they could really see who Jesus is and was, you know, um, that they could understand. I mean, there's a, there's been a, you know, they could understand the gentleness and the mercy um, and, and understand forgiveness and community and, and understand what it means. I mean, it's, it's tragic that people can't understand that masks are not for just themselves, but for 
protecting other people. The, the notion that we protect each other and we care for each other and that, and that Christians would protect their gay brothers and sisters and, and black men Christians would protect their sisters and, and white men would protect their sisters and their gay friends and, you know, heterosexual cis people would be protecting their gay friends and their gay friends would be protecting them. So, so the, the beloved community would be the jargon term that Martin Luther King used, um, but that's been overused and it's been sort of, you know, when you use a term too much and it's, it loses its oomph, we need a new term. But I would say it's, it is, in fact, some kind of community where we really are growing to care for each other in ways that are, and understand the deep pains we've caused each other. Um, the various religions have caused each other. You know, I'm, I'm a part of interfaith groups, um, not because I think we all agree with everything. I'm not, I'm not willing to take down all the, the disagreements, but I'm saying we need to understand each other and care for each other, you know, and work through those kinds of disagreements. And so yes. that's what I would really like to see, some compassion, we need just some compassion. And I will always be thankful to that young woman who was willing to confront me and say, I'm uncomfortable here. Because um, here's what I've experienced, here's what I know, here's what, here's where I'm coming from, and I could join her in that and say, wow, I, I didn't get that, you know. That was important because in my own family, you know, people came out after that, and they were able to come out because I had softened on those things. Or able to come out to me, I guess they had come out to other people. You know, so, you know, so. and that's, that's tragic, right? I mean, they're hiding part of their self from their, from their family. That, that's really tragic that that, that that happened. And I feel, I mean, when I go over that territory, you know, I think how many years of pain that I caused them. And, you know, now they would probably say to me, that's okay, you know, it's all right, but, it's not. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain. Someone else has to send us out now, so I, because you know, my my, I'm about to cry. So. <laughs> um, wow. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you for your for allowing me to be here. Please come back. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I... I'll come back and talk about music. <laughs> I'm a musician as well. I f yeah, there you go. Oh, the things yeah. we can, oh. the places we can go. Oh, I, you, didn't, you didn't know this. Um, I, oh. I didn't tell you this about Tommy. Tommy plays the cello. Oh, okay. And he sings. Violin, viola, cello, piano. Oh, and he sings. Okay. And Bob plays the piano. Yeah. Bob and I actually made up a song. I wrote the lyrics. Yeah, and he, yeah we did. He did the music. I have it somewhere. I'll, I'll, uh, uh, let yeah, me see if I have. Oh, I, I might have it on my. Uh, you want to hear? It? <laughs> wait, wait. Get, get us off of. Get us off of the recording thing first. Yeah. Bye. Uh, <laughs> we, we, the, we have the copyright law to it. Yeah. We got the, we got oh, the copyright. I didn't think about that. We've got the copyright. I don't think I have it. Yeah, like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Just a minute. Begun to 
Thank you for being here. Yeah. yeah just, have, thank you. Oh, my just God. Just wow. Just as you, as you, as you were delivering the message to, uh, I forgot the evangelics that you were talking about, but, and you mentioned, you don't know, you know, that was divine intervention. I feel like this conversation has been a divine contextualization. <laughs> for my soul yeah thank you so um my wish my prayer for you is is many many more days as you wish <laughs> and and yeah thank you um and that you just continue in this work because you are a treasure so I, there's just deep oh love God. thank you and for you in this podcast the same Y'all a little younger, so you'll probably make it longer than I do, but <laughs> that's all right. Yo, that was our show. Thanks for listening to Permission to Be. Um, thank you to our guests. So if you want more information, head on over to permissiontobepodcast.com to check out the show notes. Get some more information on our guests that we post over there. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. If there's somebody that you want to see on this podcast telling their story, we also want to hear from you. So make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, Permission to Be Podcast, and we'll see you soon.